everybody, and welcome to episode 25. It's unbelievable that I had to double-check that when I literally just said it to you before I pressed record. Episode 25 of the podcast that is so close to going around the horn for the first time. I never thought we'd see this day. It's very exciting. I'm so glad you had so much faith in us. <laughs> well, it's a lot. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, a lot of work, and it's taken us a little bit longer than I think we thought it would to get around to, to, to where we are today, V, but it's been fun, and our listenership is growing, and... Well, the fact that people listen at all is wonderful, wonderfully satisfying. Yeah, absolutely, and, and we'll get onto it in a second. But like, I, there was a—I'm going to classify it as a review that that basically summed up. Um, you know, we think we're just talking to ourselves most of the time, but you guys are actually listening, and pe- that kind of comes across. I also want to point out that uh, you know it is Saturday, not Sunday, that we're recording, and it's a little earlier. And Alex is currently chowing down on something while mm-hmm. we're working while we're recording this podcast. I'm eating soup. Why? Why? This is. I feel. Find this rude. This is not an ASMR podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I was in London all day today. I, I had a speech at London Business School. I think I can say that. Uh, uh, well, I did, and um, I didn't get home till later. And we're going to Vienna very early tomorrow morning, and uh, I have to eat. So I'm done now. It was reasonably satisfying soup. Uh, well, I have not eaten today, so this is going to make me very hungry, and then I'm going to go demolish something after this. Right. So it is Saturday, which is a little bit weird for us, uh, because I'm going to Vienna tomorrow. But we wanted to squeeze this in. I'm going to try and edit it while we're over there. But yeah, here we are, twenty episode 25, Vinegar. Uh, you guys have been busy. As Will said, it's, it, it is still a little unnerving that people listen to us. I had dinner with uh, Paul Papa Dimitriou, creator and co-host of Layovers, uh, and also guest of this podcast uh and we we were talking about the fact that we've we've done 91 episodes of layovers and are still amazed that people listen and go hey i was just listening to you here and we're like oh yeah that's right it's not just us having our normal conversations so yeah exactly. thank you thank you and yeah and some some reviews and uh i think you you've seen a, a few tweets come in as well yeah so fair range down in la uh thanks uh guys for the company after a long day working at the racetrack I still love that. Uh, this podcast is like catching up with friends once in a while and talking about what we've been eating lately. And the photo has uh, our our Mastication Nation logo on the center console of of some vehicle. I don't. Yeah. Know what, I, what kind of car is that? It's cool looking. It's got yeah. I, it's got a cool ha- uh, steering wheel. I mean, I don't want to insult anyone, but is it a Honda? But is that it, could be. I really think it insulting. might be the BMW. Either electric or hybrid BMW, but I, I don't I don't know anything about cars. I'm very sorry if I just insulted someone by saying it's a Honda. It's cool because it's got this like screen in the middle, and as you say, uh, not only does it have the Mastication Nation logo and that episode 24 is listened to the last episode of Umami, but it also has his latitude and longitude and cool. And for me, being and you know an airplane dork, it's got his altitude as well. 2,300 feet. Oh, I know where you are. Okay, you're way up there. You're over on 14. Cool. All right. Well, there we are. We're stalking you now. <laughs> this is how much of a of a geo nerd Alex is. Just like, okay, and let's pinpoint the accuracy and bounce the triangulate it. Yeah, yeah. Garth from Wayne's World is like, we'll bounce it off the second navigator and then down to uh, <laughs> the back of Mister Big's limo. That movie holds up, by the way. It really does. I actually watched it a lot the other day. Um, you know what else holds up while we're on the subject of food? What? Twinkie wiener sandwiches. My, I'm, I introduced my children, my boys, to UHF uh, on Friday afternoon, and they absolutely loved it. And now they're demanding Twinkie, Twinkie wiener sandwiches. If you have not seen that movie, it's 30 years old, and it's a classic. You know what's crazy is that he, Weird Al is coming to Berkeley in August, and I'm going to be buying tickets. Yeah, I think you should, because apparently his live shows are just so much fun. I know, yeah, and it's like uh, he's got, he's got, I think he's got a full, not a full, but like a very large orchestra section section on this tour as well. Should be a lot. Is 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 it the self? Con- we're totally getting off subject here, but Weird Al's worth discussing. It's this self. self that's the one. Yeah. Self congratulatory tour. Well, good for yes. him. He deserves it. Grammy winner Weird Al Yankovic and Fear Range. Uh, before that, earlier, I think um, last month, sent us a couple of things about things that he'd been eating recently. Those Korean tacos, which he says originated in L.A., tacos with Korean-style meat and kimchi as fillings. My mouth is literally watering. Here yeah. I got spicy pork and short rib, 
a fusion food of two very popular cultures in LA, Mexican and Korean. Now, you and I have been to Koreatown in LA. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we experienced how amazing the food culture is there in our LA episode of Attaché. So go check it out. We, we had some great, great food there. We did not have these. I'm in California for the summer, and I will go and get these things. Yeah. I mean, I think that the 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 uh, the, the Korean taco or the Korean Mexican food, um, you can find it in a few places, but it, it's always good. It's, it's it always good. really tasty. It goes so well together. There's a there's a pop up here in London that appears on the South Bank, uh, that food market. If you know London or, or or a food person in London, called Corito. So Korean burritos. So the, similar similar to this. Not uh, they're more on the Korean side than on the Mexican side. If you get what I mean, um, mm-hmm. but they're still delicious. Really, really good. And then he follows up by saying, speaking. And there's a picture which we should have we retweet. I'm going to retweet this right now. Speaking of fusion taco. I myself wonder what Peking duck taco tastes like, if such a thing exists. If it doesn't, it's a crime. Because as he says, crispy duck skin in a taco would be just... So I tried to do this. I roasted a duck a few months ago and um, you know, just a regular roast duck because I don't have the skills to do a proper Peking duck yet. But... I did make a duck taco and I have there's a, like I mentioned in our in our taco episode that my favorite um uh taco place in in San Francisco does a carnita not carnitas a confit duck uh but that's not crispy so I there's got to be someone doing it I think that would be amazing with a little you know a little sauce on top of it and um I don't know what else you would do, what you would put with it but like peking duck is so good by itself you wouldn't necessarily need too much no, like I would direct, think a, a more fruity salsa because you often you have it with that plum sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I made last night, not before last, Nigella Lawson, who I absolutely adore, has got a super simple uh, roast pork belly, whole roast pork belly re- recipe where you marinate it overnight in in the marinade of tahini, soy sauce, lemon juice. And then you whisk that up and, and you sit the pork in it. And then after the 24 hours or whatever, you take it out and then you cook it for three and a half hours, reasonably low. And then the last half an hour, you crank it up. So the crackling gets all, all crackly, I suppose. <laughs> uh, and um, we, uh, we made tacos with it and my kids loved it. And it was, it was so, it was so good. And I know, you know, you cheat your own tacos everywhere, but it just, that the blend of the, of the, of the, the fat, the crispy crackling and the pork that works. There's nothing you can't put in a taco. Challenge me, challenge me to make a suggestion, and I will. I will. We'll all we'll, we'll, we'll eat it. We'll absolutely eat it. Soup tacos. Oh, they do those. Uh, like they, they. This well, they technically they don't. It's just like they put the tortillas in the soup, and 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 then and then it's not the same at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I yeah. just think I love tacos, and I think these are these the, the ones that uh, that Fearinch posted uh, look beautiful. Yeah, and I mean all of those things sound very umami, which was the uh, last episode. Um, and I know that we talked about a, a bunch of things last episode, but you were talking. Was it last episode you were talking about the Impossible Burger? Mm, I believe so. Yes. So I was at opening night at the A's. Um, for those who don't follow ah, baseball cool. or anything, uh, those are the Oakland A's of the until now uh, Oakland Coliseum. We don't know where they're going to be playing soon because nobody wants to play in a what feels like a pre-Soviet Russian, you know, concrete shelter. Yeah, um, but. I do like it much more than going to a Giants game because Giants game is just a bunch of venture capitalists patting each other on the back, driving all the prices of the con- of the concessions up. But I was at the game and uh, great seats. Shout out to Alex O'Striker for securing those street seats behind home plate. Um, and uh, they have Impossible Burgers in the concessions. So you know, I've now started to see Impossible meats absolutely everywhere I go around the Bay Area. So. Um, I even saw it at my local Irish pub. So it's everywhere. And if you are, haven't tried it, go try it. Has it come to England yet? Uh, I don't know. I, I won't say no for sure because I'm, I'm not 100% sure. So if you guys know, um, it would be good to know. Because as you heard in the last episode or whenever it was, I think it was last episode, I'm, I'm a fan. And interestingly, there was a thread on Reddit recently, an Ask Reddit uh, would you eat less meat if they could make something that tasted as good as meat? And, you know, there was, of course, people talking about the Impossible Burger and almost universally people were like, heck yeah, and now you can. I think burgers are done. We've cra- we've cracked it. They're yeah, so I good. agree. I think it was the easiest thing to crack. 
um, because it is minced meat. Uh, it, you know, the steak is going to be the hardest one to to tackle, but yeah. I think they can get there. Yeah, uh, that's true. And actually, I don't know if you saw this, but Theo Ranger's follow up from his track pictures. He says, "I wonder if you wonder what I had at at the track for lunch. It was an Impossible Burger." Uh, it's just in the zeitgeist right now. Yeah, but. Speaking of burgers, you pinged me the other day and you were like, let's just hold this for the for the for the podcast a little bit, but you had an experience at the ever growing number of and I don't want to use this word dismissively, but American style burger restaurants in the UK. And you had a bit of a weird experience, right? Yeah, I, I did. I, I sent you a message saying you will know the answer to this or at least have uh, an educated opinion. There, there's a burger joint about half half an hour from me south that everybody's been going on about, going, it's the best burger in town. And I'm kind of like, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> uh, and, and a lot of people have said it and they've sent pictures and they look solid other than this horrendous habit of putting lettuce on burgers. And they made it even worse by putting shredded iceberg lettuce on a burger mm, no yeah you're not mcdonald's only mcdonald's and the big mac can get away with that and even then it's just like a maybe three or four shreds of lettuce anyway we uh we go down there and it's a place in a place called saint leonard's which is next to hastings which mm-hmm. i'm a big fan of hastings the whole area is great um it's got a sort of patinaed charm to it and it was mother's day and my wife likes burgers so we went and they, 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 these guys love burgers. It's very obvious that they love burgers. They talk about having burger pilgrimages to the U.S. and wanting to bring something back. This is, it was pure, you know, this is, these guys love burgers. It's very obvious. And they seem to have the basics, right? It was a, a, a patty with uh, Heinz ketchup and French's mustard, pickles, and then you could add they, the only cheese they had was Monterey Jack, which I thought was a weird choice. I, I love Monterey Jack. Uh, but they didn't have the classic American slice burger cheese. They didn't have English cheddar, which is good because I adore English cheddar. It's, it's, I would miss it unbearably if I ever left this country. It does not go on a burger nope. for, for reasons we talked about in both our burger episode and throughout. So they didn't commit that, that hate crime. They had English bacon or English style bacon, which I don't think works on a burger. Nope. nope. Uh, as good as it is, I don't. I'm not one of those people who goes, "Oh, American bacon is better than British bacon," or vice versa. They're, they both British have... bacon is quintessentially the best when it comes to a bacon sarnie. Yeah, agreed, agreed. But it doesn't belong in a burger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so we ordered it, and my wife got like a. Um, they have a, a they the the one thing that was interesting to me is they had. They had a the thing called the big cheese, two patties, pickles, Monterey Jack cheese, French mustard, honey ketchup, shredded abomination. The smokestack, which is the same thing, except they make this smoky onion and bacon relish. Unnecessary. Anyway, of course I ordered mine without lettuce and tomatoes, because why? And the construction was good. They used brioche buns, which we've talked about before as being kind of not smart because they fall apart. I don't know why everybody thinks they need to have these sort of artisanal brioche buns. And it was okay. It was nothing compared to any of the burgers I've had at uh, Dip and Flip, Patty and Bun, Meat Liquor uh, in in London, a few others that are pretty good. But it was fine. It was easily the best burger I've had outside of London uh, in the UK. But there was something – what did I say to you? I said, uh, whenever I have a burger in the UK, especially in a pub – the beef has an overwhelmingly gamey taste to the point of being unpleasant. And I asked you, what What do you think that is? Do you think it's not seasoned? Is it a bad cut of meat? Is it cheap meat? And I don't, I don't, and it always tastes the same. And my wife and I both commented on it. And I don't think that it was cheap meat because they talk at length and with passion on their website about how they and where they source their their cuts and their grass fed and and used and that's when you sort of said, well, hang on a minute, grass fed. Yeah, so I think that's a couple things here. 
Um, I think <laughs> it's weird I use this term, the reverse lamb paradox. And I think we may have talked about this on a previous episode about how um, lamb in this country, in the U.S., uh, if it's local lamb, it can be very gamey because not enough people are eating it. And then therefore the flavor doesn't become homogenized. It can be very sort of artisanal, which some people like. Other people find it a little musty. And so because the British beef industry has taken some knocks, um, you know, it's not that great. There are some independent people trying to do some really interesting stuff. But with that comes this high level of specificity and, um, uh, you know, it, the, the beef can be a little bit more uh, not gamey because beef can't not really be that gamey. But, you know, you're, it's not that normal flavor that you're getting out of like just a high quality beef. And so I'm wondering if maybe their their adherence to super local means that letting that meat flavor shine through is overpowering other stuff. Because a good burger should be a, a solid blend of the right cut of beef, which will make a big difference. And the right cut of fat. And, and as we talked about in the burger episode, generally it's not just one cut of beef that you want to be going with because this can, this kind of thing can happen. Yeah. It, it, and I, that, I mean, that makes total sense. And I, I, uh, I did some research online and a lot of people were saying that grass fed beef in a steak has got that lovely rich flavor. Uh, but when it translates to ground beef, it actually doesn't work as well um, because you do get that overwhelming flavor when really what you want in a burger is the taste of the seasoning and the char and not an overwhelming taste of uh, uh, of, bur- of meat. Yeah, will. and I sent you a, lo- a link from my local butcher who's basically like saying, hey, come in. It's grass-fed beef time because obviously it's grass-fed beef because it's seasonal. You can't have – uh, if it's local, you can't have the same kind of feed constantly all year round. It will change. So there will – like a super local uh, produce is going to have different flavors throughout the year. And so maybe go back in six months' time and see what it's like. But I know you tweeted at them and they didn't give you uh, much information back. But knowing what the cut is and how – and what the ratios are will make a big difference on analyzing this. As we said, CSI meat or CSI Hastings. Yeah. Yeah, it was a little frustrating, but uh, it's I wouldn't hurry back there. So I'm going to guess that that wasn't the best thing you ate since we last recorded. It was not the best thing I ate since we last recorded at all. What was? So we just got back from Delhi. Uh, we were filming an episode out there, which will be released in the coming weeks and months. Uh, and my good friend Kalyan Karmakar, who you guys might know as the finely chopped. On Twitter and Instagram, if you don't follow him, I strongly recommend that you do. Uh, he is a food writer. He's got a wonderful book called The Traveling Belly. Uh, he's based in Mumbai and was um, was uh, kind enough to join us in Delhi and, and kind of unlock its its casual and street food secrets for us. So we ate just the most extraordinary food in places that I never would have gone to myself. Um, and, and he ordered for us in almost all these places, which I massively appreciated because I would have been out of my league a little bit. And we, we went to this place called, uh, if you know Delhi in Connaught Circle, and if you know Delhi, then you'll know this place, Kakida Hotel, which is on the outer ring. It's an institution. I posted a picture of the queue outside uh, on, on my Instagram. It's like heaving constantly. We had some amazing food there. He ordered like four or five different curries, all with uh, with goat or mutton meat. One was a uh, spinach and, and meat. The other one was actually um, my first taste of, of brain curry. So goat, goat brain curry, uh, which was great. It was delicious. It was absolutely delicious. And, you know, big, big chunks of goat brain in there, um, which. Mm, prions. Yeah. I sent you in and you're like, that's a hard no from me. <laughs> yep. But it yep. was uh, it was good. It was delicious. Everything was delicious. But the best thing, and the thing actually that I had I had been looking forward to for the whole trip, even before we got there, uh, was a breakfast dish uh, uh, called chole batore. Uh, I didn't pronounce that as elegantly as um, my Indian friends would. Um, we went to a place that Kalyan had never been to before, but uh, had. Um, had heard a lot about and wanted to go. So that was kind of cool because we were all kind of uh, experiencing it together for the first time. But the dish itself, it's a, it's a, it's a chickpea masala, essentially. Okay. Uh, and it's, uh, it's kind of a, 
yeah, it's a chana masala. And then you get it with this batura, which is like a, a thick roti, which they cook there in house. And you use the roti and you scoop up the, uh, 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 up the masala with it, the chana masala with it. It's lovely and spicy, but not overpoweringly spicy. Uh, it's, uh, it, you, you get a little plate alongside of it with pickled carrots, uh, chili pepper, and it costs like, you know, 40 P, uh, and you have a, a lassie with it, if that's your jam. And uh, it was just so flipping good. We ate so much great food on that trip, but that was easily the best thing. That sounds awesome. Um, not to, to shift focus a little bit. Have you ever been to, uh, the Darjeeling Express? In- I have not. You know what it is, right? I do. I've never. I think maybe Sir Greg Barnes has been there. Yeah, just because I I was listening to a BBC Food program about the the rise of or the fall of subcontinent um, you know uh, chefs in England and and for whatever reasons and then they focused on this restaurant specifically about how this this woman the chef um, you know hires nothing but female chefs and then the place is incredible and she used to be a lawyer and all this kind of stuff and then there's a, a fantastic chef's table on it this season um, season six and uh, they highlight her restaurant and it just looked so good and it's reminded me of really good Indian food as well so next time yeah. I'm back in London I want to go yeah, it, uh, it made me realize just, I mean, the breadth and depth of Indian food. Because, of course, we were sort of in northern India, so that's what we experienced. But you can get a lot of um, a lot of stuff out there. I would be very interested to hear what, what Greg thought was his favorite uh, dish that we had out there. Because we, we just ate and ate and ate. We also walked and walked and walked. But, yeah, that was easily we, the best thing. we got to get figure out how to get Greg on before the end, the end of the first round. <clears throat> yeah. What would be a good one for Greg? Uh, the the influence of food and music videos. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll get we'll get Sir Greg Barnes on here. Uh, but w- what was the best thing that you ate since we last recorded? I haven't been doing anything specifically outrageous. Um, I think touching up on what I was talking about on lamb, um, I have seen a dramatic drop in price at certain supermarkets. Maybe it's just the time of year uh, on New Zealand lamb. So I've been buying uh, some racks of lamb. Uh, and then just roasting those off um, with a little bit of um, seasoning, a little bit of uh, balsamic vinegar, which we'll mm. get onto later on. Um, and then getting a whole head of uh, cauliflower, cutting it up into fairly thick steaks, seasoning it with my favorite uh, Vaudevin, French uh, French masala, French curry seasoning, and then just roasting at like 450 for like 15 minutes per side. And then that's kind of it um and then just making a quick sauce with like um with mint with uh salt pepper or fresh mint salt pepper uh, a little bit of chili flake and a little bit of olive oil and then like cutting that up and then just dressing everything with that um mint and spice works really really well with like a gamey meat like lamb and that's kind of become like one of our go-to weekly meals because you know a small rack of like one side of the rack of lamb is enough for two people plus a little bit extra so uh yeah lamb nice what's for dinner nice yeah, I uh, I love lamb. I love lamb, and I think um, it's lambing season here in L- in the UK. So, I love lamb. Um, <laughs> that took way too long for my brain. I was like, that's, wait, there's that's, that is here. that's the mastication nation T-shirt there. That I love lamb. I love, and lamb. it's just like, yeah, Steve Carell. Um, so what are you drinking? I know you're probably still on the no no drinking kick. <laughs> uh, I am. I am. Uh, yep. I'm. I'm. I've got my two liter bottle of Waitrose Essential Lock Hills Sparkling Water. We have uh, had a, a bevy machine put into our office, which is a, a sparkling water vending machine. So you know we're that company, but you can get your you can get your uh, black currant flavored sparkling water and all that kind of stuff on, on tap. That I just use it. I just use it for water. It's the whole uh, Lacroix thing. But I'm drinking. Uh, what am I drinking? Lagunitas, which is a local uh, brewery. Uh, something easy ale, which is a a local. Uh, oh, sorry. It's a Pilsner. Um, let's see here. It's uh, one of those ones that are really light, refreshing, light golden brown, uh, golden color, um, and it goes down very easy. So I will be drinking this while you are not drinking. So, yeah, make me feel guilty while you're drinking for two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, I think uh, this is an interesting topic. It's a very, very broad topic, but I think there's a lot, a lot of interesting stuff to talk about here. Uh, the, we, I mean, there was a lot of good, uh, good, um, 
recommendations. Vodka came up a lot, which actually would have been good because vodka has a lot of culinary uses as well. Um, pastry cuss, pasta sauces, all that kind of thing. But we actually ice went... Ice cream. Yeah. Ice cream. Yeah, yeah. We went for V for vinegar. And I think uh, there's a lot to talk about here. Yeah, given our discussion about tongue maps in the umami episode, you know, this is the, when people think of sour, they often think of, of vinegar. And as we talked about in the last episode, tongue maps are, are pseudoscience. They don't, they don't nothing. Uh, so vinegar. Yeah, I, I, I used to hate vinegar. And I think I just didn't understand vinegar. I think when I was a kid growing up in England, the only vinegar I would ever see is malt vinegar on tables. And mm. I can't stand I can't stand malt vinegar, and I can't stand salt and vinegar chips, which we'll get onto in a little what? bit. Yes. No. To, okay. L- listeners, I feel like there is a hard line that most people come down on on this, where it's Marmite or Bovril. You're either in it or you're out of it. Whether you're um, cheese and onion or uh, salt and vinegar, you're usually on one side of that divide as your favorite. But apparently, I'm wrong for hating salt and vinegar chips, so... Uh, it's weird. It's, it is weird. I mean, I don't really like cheese and onion. I don't. There you ha- go. Yeah, I don't hate them. Uh, huh? That's weird. Yeah, no, that is weird. But let's let's jump back to the beginning. Uh, the word vinegar. Uh, most people know that vinegar uh, traditionally came from from wine. Um, so the word is Latin via Old French, and the word means uh, sour wine. So vin, obviously, vinegar, and the e- eager or eger comes from the old old French for sour. So it is exactly what it says on the tin, to quote the old Ronsel, uh tagline. Um, it is sour wine, and that's how it was made, and that's what it was, you know. I think, I, I'm not sure if it was ever, I, I couldn't get an understanding on whether or not it was discovered by accident, kind of like beer, um, or if it was, you know, sort of like, let's try and figure this out to make a preserver. But, um, you know, it's been around for forever. It goes back. The Babylonians were using it 5,000 years ago. The Egyptians, Egyptians, roughly the same time, um, using vinegar for either flavoring or preservatives. But at a base level, vinegar is any liquid that has, uh, alcohol with acetic batter, uh, sorry, acetic bacterias. Uh, and is fermented to create acetic acids. Uh, acetic bacteria or acetic bacters uh, feed on the alcohol and air. So they basically take a alcoholic um, beverage or alcoholic dilute, as they say, and turn it into this acetic acid. And that makes it inhospitable to bacteria or uh, nasty bacteria, germs, pretty much anything. They They last forever and they are usually... 5% to 20% acetic back, acetic acid. Um, but generally, the ones that we're going to be working with in the day-to-day um, you know, culinary world are anywhere between 5 and 10% acetic acid. Uh, and yeah, it comes in very a multitude of different varieties, but most people know it distilled from, uh, from, from a wine. So I, I'm fascinated by the whole, was it discovered by accident or was it created to, to do something? And was it, or do what we know vinegar is today, was it a byproduct of another process, uh, an accident, you know, as so I many think, wonderful discoveries are? I think because wine has just been around for so long and keeping wine bad, um, you know, so keeping wine from going bad is such a, a problem back before refrigeration and preservatives that, that it probably happened a lot. Um, obviously it doesn't just happen. The bacteria would need to be present, um, for it to really start to turn to vinegar. But a lot of that can be found in the, in just in, in environments. So I, my gut is that enough of it had gone bad that someone was like taking a swig the next day and like, this isn't disgusting, but this isn't wine anymore. It's got the sour flavor. I wonder what we can do with it. Um, yeah, I think it's an interesting one, but what were they using it for back then? Um, I mean, kind of everything. I, I wrote down that it's you know, a seasoner, a preserver, a sauce, a disinfectant, and a way of life because it, it lasts forever. And I'm, don't don't laugh. It is a, it it does it does disinfect. In no, I'm not. I'm not laughing at, at, at disinfecting or way of life. I'm la- I'm laughing at all five of those things together. Because how many things are there that we all you, you know most of us like the taste of? And this it also kills ninety nine point nine percent of bacteria. Exactly, exactly. I mean, kind of salt, I think, you know, kind of fits in that in that world. I, I, f- correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the original, like, 
ketchup uh, used to be, I know that's Chinese, but did have like fermented vinegar and fish in there as well. So I don't know when the Chinese started using it, but I my, my gut is that it was a combination of a seasoning um, and a preserver is what the Babylonians and the Egyptians were using it for. Um, but if there are any vinegar scholars out there who have done, you know, more extensive research than me, let me know. Yeah, it's uh, it, I like these things that are are um, vague, not no way yeah, vague, but also that have gone back thousands and thousands of years. You know, like we mm-hmm. talked about olive oil in in uh, in previous episodes as well. And honey, uh, honey, and yeah, no, I, I like things like that. Um, but there's there's these ways of 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 how you make or two really the slow and the fast method. Yeah, yeah. So the, the slow the slow is more your artisanal. The Olean style, the Olean method of fermentation where it takes uh, time, a lot of time, uh, good wine, a good mother, and a good barrel. And I'll just touch upon those real quick. Yeah. Um, time because generally you're you're um, reducing the wine as it as it ferments uh, on a, and then evaporates off. So you're putting it into smaller and smaller barrels as you lose more of the, the angel share, as they say in the whiskey-making um, industry, where you lose the, the, the volume. Uh, good wine because that is the base flavor that you're going to get. So don't ever use like cooking wine to make vinegar you want. Solid wine. That's why a lot of uh, vinegar regions are also good wine regions. Um, A good mother. And um, a good mother doesn't mean the nurturing person who's making it. It's actually uh, the acetic bacter um, and cellulose sort of mesh that – the vinegar maker will put into uh, fresh wine, and it basically is this Kickstarter that then starts. It's the almost process. like a, the equivalent of a sourdough starter. A, exactly, it is the same method of a sourdough starter to the point where these uh, vinegar makers will will have insurance policies on them, or they'll they'll they can break it really? off a little. Yeah, they'll break off a little piece of them, and you can put them into other other um, fresh wines, and they'll keep going, and so they'll keep six or seven parts of the mother in separate areas protected so that they can uh, just, you know, have insurance policies if the if something were to ever happen to the warehouse or the the place that they're working on. And, you know, if, if a wine has been completely converted into vinegar, the mother will just sink to the bottom and lay dormant for however long it needs to. And then you pour some fresh wine into that, it, the mother will float to the top and start converting um, the, the wine all over again into, into vinegar. And then, and finally, good barrels, um, um, you know the the much like wine or uh, or whiskey making, the wood does make uh, an impact in Oleon's method. Obviously, in, in other methods, when you're using faster uh, methods that you want more commercial grade, you're using steel steel barrels. Um, so you're not going to have to worry about it too much. But the old style is your 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 um, Madonna, uh, Modena balsamics, your sherries, your your um, champagnes, and, and some of your more classic, um, not more classic, but your your malts and your rice wine, wine vinegars as well. So that's the old school way of doing things. Let's let's go. So that's that's a nice uh, segue um, and and a, and a great explanation actually of how these things work because it is it's it's sciency. <laughs> it's incredibly sciencey. I mean, you've, you've got the new stuff, which can be done in like two. I mean, this can take up to twelve to fifty years if you wanted to. Whilst you've got the new stuff, which you'll be using, like you know, the white distilled vinegar that you've seen, you know, at the, underneath most people's sinks, and that only takes a couple of days to make. It, it's fast. You put free floating exudobacters in the in the uh, liquid, and then you percolate air through it like a a, a bubbler in a in a in a, a fish tank and it only takes a couple of days for it to ferment everything and turn it but you won't have that depth of flavor and it's really just used for industrial processes or or pickling or crap stuff like that not that pickling is crap no no but it's i don't know i think it's interesting and there's a lot of you know you're basically you when you can you're converting that ethanol or alcohol and oxygen and you get the acetic acid mm-hmm. from that reaction i think that that's kind of neat and then all of the stuff you get out there like um uh, the flavonoids and al- al- aldehydes. It sounds very industrial and chemically, but and it is. It, it, this is exactly what it is. But how wonderful that this this uh, this uh, ambrosia uh, appears at the end of it. 
But you were you were talking briefly there a, a second ago about the different types. I think it's mm-hmm. definitely worth exploring because they are incredibly different. Yeah, and I think that there are probably five or six that most people are are aware of. And I think that the way that you need to look at it is the base ingredient is what makes the difference. The process doesn't really make a difference. That, like we just discussed, making vinegar is a specific set of steps. Um, there may be some variations to get some different flavors in there or some timing changes. But if we go through the big ones, uh, probably the big bad boy that everybody knows is is balsamic. And, and balsamic is a little bit like um, – uh, certain wines, a little bit like champagne, which obviously you make vinegar as well, but it has uh, really specific designations, and they have the uh, Italian version of the the, the provenance um, uh, markers on them. So, at a base level, true balsamic vinegar is made from a reduction of pressed uh, Trebbiano and Lambrosic grapes. I think I'm. Pronouncing Those are both that white well. grapes. Yeah. The, yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Trebbiano, yeah. Trebbiano, thank you. The resulting thick syrup called mostacotta in Italian is subsequently aged for a minimum of 12 years in a battery of several barrels successively smaller in size. As we talked, the angel share brings it lower and lower. So you're creating this dense, thick, very um, uh, heavy flavored or or, um, dense flavored syrup that we all no, and like if you see really expensive uh, balsamic vinegar, it almost looks like like thick tards, yeah. that heavy, um, and that's why you can tell the difference between like really really good stuff and 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 sort of the mass produced stuff, and it has to be from Modena or the there's a a region just to the west of uh, Modena that it's allowed to be from as well. Um, you can get around it by saying it is of the balsamic style, which is cheating a little bit, and that yeah, or that- or balsamic vinegar of Modena. Exactly. And that means that they can either rush uh, how long it takes them to make it or that it's made from, you know, not the specific areas. Um, but if you go to your your kitchen right now, I can almost guarantee you it will say product of Italy on it. That's not to say that it is this super high-end stuff, but it is um, t- traditionally, I guess, recognized by the Italians as balsamic vinegar. Yeah. And it's... Uh... It's you said that you know it's a minimum of twelve years, but in many cases they'll go up to twenty five years, mm-hmm. and, and it lasts forever. I mean, like, why not? Yeah, and it's it's not a cheap thing. That's why you have these, and they're not knockoffs. They're just non designated the designation of origin protected um, commercial forms. That, by as you said, by and large, that's what you find on the shelves. Because it is not a cheap thing because obviously it's taking so much time. But what's wonderful about balsamic vinegar, and I, I absolutely love this stuff. Me too. Uh, in, its, in its purest form, you know, dipping bread into it or having some uh, um, buffalo mozzarella or something like that, uh, is it, it has um, a high acidity level by definition being a vinegar. But the, the other ingredients that they use to make it uh, are sweet. And so that kind of takes the edge off that acidity and what gives it that really kind of mellow, pleasant flavor. I mean, balsamic vinegar is the only vinegar that I've, I've had a straight like sip of. I would never do that with like, you know, um, or, uh, what's it called? Um, apple cider or, or distilled white or malt, you know, that would be disgusting, but like really good balsamic vinegar, you can drink straight. And to your point, like drop like the most famous example I think you find in Italy is like just really like syrupy drops on top of like a Parmigiano Reggiano. So like that's that really salty creaminess juxtaposed against the the really complex vinegar flavor is basically what I think of when I think of Italian food. Um, and, and they also do it like dressing red meats. Um, I've done it with stone fruits, especially grilled stone fruits. So if you uh, grill off some nectarines and then just drizzle a little, little bit of high quality um, uh, balsamic vinegar over the top of it, it is absolutely phenomenal. And and you won't cook with this kind of vinegar in the sense no. of cooking in the sense of like, you know, throwing it in uh, and exposing it to high heat. It's just not uh, a good way to appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where you, you know, and, and it is like wine because you can get crappy, cheap wine that tastes like garbage. And then you can buy expensive wine that 
also tastes like garbage. But there is a, usually a sweet spot in terms of age, and of course, being a uh, you know a regional a particular regional designation uh, and definition as well. You can uh, we should we should do a whole episode on those. By the way, they're fascinating. Yeah. Um, you uh, you do you do get different slightly different intensities and flavors, so it is worth. And there are places actually that you can do balsamic vinegar tastings, uh, just like mm-hmm. you can with olive oil. Uh, and it's well worth doing to find the the, the style or the aging Age, yeah. or even the producer that you really like. Yeah, absolutely. And then and sort of the next step that a lot of people know is uh, staying in the wine world, your your sherry and your champagne vinegars. Um, I know I can almost guarantee you that if you go to most of your parents' house, there'll be like a bottle of sherry or champagne vinegar from – the mid nineties from Marks and Spencer's that they bought once and have no idea what to do with uh, now, but it lasts forever. So as long as it's not in direct sunlight, it should still be fine. And, and like the, we talked about earlier, the, the process is the same. They're just using sherry or champagne as the base level ingredient that the acetobacters are, are, are chowing down on. And therefore you have a, slightly more floral, lighter, because you're not aging it anywhere near as much as balsamic vinegar flavor. I mean, like, if you look at a bottle of balsamic of uh, champagne vinegar, it looks like um, champagne. And much more as opposed to balsamic vinegar, where you're going to be just using it to, like, touch up here and there. As it's thinner, it works better in uh, in, in vinaigrettes. Um, it makes an outstanding vinaigrette. I actually think it's better than balsamic for vinaigrette. Yeah, I agree. I use champagne vinegar in in quite a lot. I used to also use sherry vinegar in a lot of pork dishes. Um, I feel like it really brings out a brightness and a um, a flavor of the pork that is that is just you know can be dulled by the cooking. Um, and maybe we'll get onto this in a bit, but like vinegar beyond the flavor that it does a lot at a chemical level. Like it just re- often you'll see people. Um, putting in acid at the end of a dish to brighten up the flavors. Mm-hmm. Like you see people like spray lemon juice on top of your food right at the end. The vinegar does the same thing and it can, it can keep fish being less fishy uh, and more fresh flavor. It can, um, you know, bring out the, the flavor of meats really well. It, it turns the, everything up to 11 like salt does. Um, and, and so champ- champagne and sherry vinegars are, are really good examples of that as well. Same with white wine yeah. vinegar as well, which sort of falls into that, that region. And sherry vinegar, like uh, balsamic vinegar, is also a protected definition and region. Uh, this in this time Spain, uh, so you can you 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 can get us another sort of sub uh, product in the U.S., but that even that has a very strict definition as well. So definitely worth having in your in your cabinet or pantry. So, the, so the next one sort of is our first foray away from uh, from wine, as we said at the very beginning. Uh, vinegars can be made from any alcoholic uh, uh, solution, and so malt, uh, mm. malt whisk, uh, malt whiskey. <laughs> it's on my brain. Uh, malt vinegar uh, is what I first first introduced to, uh, and balsamic was the one that got me off of the. Oh, I actually like this now. Um, malt. You'll see it everywhere in England, and it's that brown, you know, really pungent smell that is doused on top of your fish and chips um, or anything else. And I think is the flavoring in uh, salt and vinegar of Walker's chips, at least. Uh, it might not be. Uh, it might just be a, a flavoring of, of a sharp vinegar, but I don't like it. But it, as we said, it, it moves away from the wine because it's malt. It's made with uh, basically beer. You're using beer malt to yeah, it's a grain uh, grain based exactly vinegar. this is moving towards the grain side so the british are obviously famous with their malt vinegar and the chinese black vinegar is uh, also made from from grains um which you'll see much more in chinese cooking obviously and has a very pungent strong if not used right overwhelming flavor to it but you're a malt vinegar kind of guy right yeah, I can't imagine fish and chips without without malt vinegar and and salt. I just love it. I think it's uh be, beyond that. I don't see many applications for it, but it, uh, boy, it's I love it. I think it's absolutely wonderful. It no, see, I just uh, to your point. I don't see any applications for it outside of 
outside of fish and chips. And I'm the kind of person that will put lemon juice on my fish and chips uh, to the to the anger of everybody at the local chippy. Um, but it's for me, it doesn't doesn't do anything. And if anybody out there knows what else you use malt vinegar for, uh, let us know. I know I've seen people use them in like sausages and stuff like that. But for me, this doesn't doesn't quite I think, cut. I think the combo of the salt, the saltiness of the salt, obviously, and the the acidity uh, and sort of, as you say, a sort of quasi sourness of malt vinegar. I think just they just work beautifully. I, I right. can't imagine. Uh, I can't imagine them uh, without that. So the next step from 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 malt is uh, what's classified in the U.S. as distilled white vinegar. Sometimes you'll see it as just white vinegar, but in the U.S. they have to have it say distilled white vinegar, and that means it's come from the generally from the malt side, the grain side. It's been distilled from a grain, not from not yeah. from a, a wine. Here it's called spirit vinegar. Right, exactly, and it means the same thing. We talked about it back in the day about your two branches of alcohol. You got your your fruit based stuff and your grain based stuff. This all comes from the grain side of the family. Um, and, and that is, I can't remember, Heinz does the bottles mainly out here, I think you would see. Um, so you'll see this in a lot of, um, I would say less high touch culinary uses. So on, in our house, it's almost exclusively used for cleaning because it's, it, it kills everything. In fact, it, our glass cleaner that we make at home, um, you know, most of our, most of our day to day house cleaning supplies are actually homemade um and our glass cleaner is white vinegar with borax and a couple other things um and it works fantastically um and like i said it kills germs it kills mold it lasts forever um you can use it in pickling it's fantastic for reviving copper um well copper in general but copper cookware you mix white vinegar with uh uh some baking i think it's baking powder and some flour and then you lay that on top of your your messed up uh, cookware and then wash it off and you get that gleam again and then also it's really good for reviving limp greens if your your greens are a little wilted just a tiny little bit of uh distilled white vinegar and some water leave them for uh, 30 seconds or so they'll they'll perk right back up and won't have a, a a vinegar flavor and it's also used in pickling yeah, and and meat preservation. It's very and and cooking and baking as well. It's often used as when an acid is required for a chemical reaction in baking. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, you're not using this for its flavor. No, you're not using it for its flavor. But it is. It's because it's made with malt, which is a cereal grain. It's very very cheap. So you're looking. You know, you're paying less than a dollar in most cases for a big old bottle of this stuff compared to tens, if not in some cases hundreds of dollars for a really good balsamic vinegar. I feel like you must have bottles of it around because, uh, especially this time of year, with it being Easter, I feel like it's a pro- it's a it's a key ingredient in uh, Easter egg painting. If I don't, if I remember correctly, yeah, I think it it it's uh, yeah, it, you mix it with food coloring and dip the eggs in, and uh, great, that's a good point, yeah. And uh, so it's uh, got a lot of uh, arts and craft applications. Yeah, I mean, it's got a very kind of almost sort of you know stings the nostrils. <laughs> You know, um, yeah, and then, then that sort of brings us to like the, the one just outside of of, of grains. Well, technically, is a grain uh, rice vinegar, um, which I have in the house constantly because it works really well in all my Asian um, cooking. And I think its most famous application is for us is its application to to sushi rice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you must have seen this how they how like you know certain sous chefs in the sushi world will spend years just being the fanboy. So uh, they'll have a fan and they're they're fanning the the, the rice as it's been cooked, and because you're um, you're dousing the, the the freshly cooked rice with sushi with well, sorry with rice vinegar, and then cooling it down quickly so that it like adheres to each rice grain individually. Mm-hmm. And these guys will do this for most of their their culinary careers before graduating to actually get close to a piece of fish. Um, and that that's really interesting how it helps like separate each grain and uh, and then give a sense of tackiness so that they can put you know create the the sushi uh, I, my my terminology on sushi is terrible so whatever you call the yeah the nigiri the, yeah the, yeah uh, and that's why it's got that lovely bite to it yeah exactly otherwise it would just be a little bit homogenous like you know the flavor of the fish and then the and the rice but that gives a nice flavor to it but do you use rice wine vinegar at home yeah, we do. We do. And uh, I, I don't, I get, because uh, there's the, the the Chinese, Japanese and Korean and Vietnamese 
rice vinegars, all different. Japanese rice vinegar is made uh, sometimes with adding sake and salt and sugar,、uh, and sometimes mirin actually. So that gives it a really nice flavor profile. So. Uh, again, it just comes down to tasting it. You get the little red,、uh, red rice vinegar packets、uh, in Hong Kong、um, that come with like、uh, takeaway、uh, Chinese food. Like, like you know, if I went to to Joy Hing, got some some food,、um, some roast duck or whatever, you would get a little packet of of this red rice rice vinegar to put on your rice. Yeah, and also I think that it. It is a prime example of like right at the end, finishing with a little bit of this、uh, brings all everything the flavors back up as well if they've been dulled by by the heat. So、um, I use it in marinades and I use it as a as a sort of a finisher as well. It's very versatile. Yeah, and then the last one is the one that I wanted to spend a little bit of time more time on because.、Um, If you could see a graph of its uses through the last fifteen twenty years, I think this last vinegar was pretty much used by you know、um, health nuts and then、um, you know hippies and then、uh, people in Germany and、uh, certain styles of cooking and then over the last five ten years, freaking everybody and that's apple cider vinegar. And a- apple cider vinegar has had this like I don't know who their PR agency are. It's like cranberries back in the nineties. They're freaking everywhere. Everybody thinks that this is a magical elixir. Is it like that in, in the UK as well? Not as much that I know of. Have、It's、you seen? It's not a zeitgeist that I tap into, admittedly. You you haven't seen people just like every morning they'll take a shot of、oh, apple cider vinegar. I、yes. have, and I I think it's hilarious because it has absolutely no medicinal or nutritional value. It's no, literally yeah, zero 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 everything across the board. There's nothing. Yeah, it's fermented apple juice. Exactly, and so you do a better job of just drinking the apple juice.、So、that being said, look if, if if anything is getting you to make yourself feel more healthy,、uh, well, then, then- I don't know. I don't even think that we should encourage that because it's actually you can damage the soft tissues of your mouth by drinking it, and all and your stomach and your kidneys. Right, you're not supposed. Don't just drink it straight up. I would say mix it with something. Yeah, it'll、um, damage your. It'll damage the enamel on your teeth. Um, it's not good to put in your ears as a as a way of cleaning them. That'll absolutely screw them up. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's got um, it, it's 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 a bit of a probiotic, but that's coming from the mother, not the vinegar. So any vinegar could have that probiotic level of inf- of help.、Um, most of the vitamins can be found in regular apple juice. So drink your juice box.、Uh, but it does. The only study that I could find that it had any sort of positive correlation, and again, it's not from just drinking it straight. It's just using it in in cooking. Is that it can help lower glucose glucose levels in diabetics.、Um, but again, I'm sure your doctor is telling you there's lots of ways to be able to do that. And then, as any vinegar can, it kills bacteria on your, on your salad dress in your salad. So you can use it in dressings. And if they if you feel like your organic、uh, farmers market is not doing a good job of washing、uh, their their greens. Then this will help with that, but you're not, you're not. The, the, the funny thing was like the I, I was on the Chicago、uh, University of Chicago、uh, medical school website, and they have done a ton of research on this. And the number one thing was was, and it drives me nuts that they even have to address this. It doesn't cure cancer, and the fact that somebody had to think that and write that just drives me insane. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, like there are there people there that are just like turning down, you know, actual proven medical、uh, science to be like, no, 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 I'm just going to drink a bunch of apple cider and my tumors will go away. Like, nope, nope, it's not going to work.、Um, but look, it's from a culinary point of view, I love it. I think I use it probably the most outside of balsamic vinegar. It is for me the best、uh, vinegar when I'm using any. Part of the pig, I do a lot of、uh, pork chops and pork tenderloin, and if I'm marinating it <clears throat> or just making a just a, some sort of flavoring,、uh, really good mustard, 
uh, apple cider vinegar, uh, some other seasonings, just mix that all up, really emulsify it, and then marinate the pork in that. Um, the the, the uh, vinegar helps lock in some of the, the juiciness, and then you know, you're know you searing it off or you're grilling it off, and it has a nice little tang. And it also works really well in making, um, you know, if you're making like a honey mustard sauce or whatever, you put a little bit of the apple cider vinegar in there, and it gives us a bit more of a uh, a zing to everything. Um, and I, I love it. I think it's fantastic. I'm a cider person, uh, English cider, not American cider. I don't really like the, the, the non-alcoholic the sweet, stuff. Yeah. It's way too sweet for me, but the English sort of scrumpy Jack style stuff, you know, I love that. So that flavor really, uh, rings through for me on pretty much everything. Uh, you can even use it in chicken. It doesn't really work that well in beef, but I would say pretty much any, land-based creature besides beef it, it, it can work well with yeah i agree i absolutely agree so i'm sure there are tons of other vinegars that, that are out there that have a niche uh application i think these are sort of the, the heavy hitters but um from your perspective are there are there any dishes that that vinegar features heavily in or is a key component in that you absolutely adore. I mean, obviously we touched upon uh, fish and chips, but yeah. something maybe a little bit more. You know, fish, yeah. Random. Fish and chips, I think uh, is really important or just the chip side of the fish and chips, quite frankly, but um, hot and sour soup. Um, I think uh, I love, I absolutely love that. And the hot stuff is, uh, is um, red peppers, Frank, uh, almost ordinarily, but the sour is almost invariably vinegar. What, what uh, vinegar? Um, which rice vinegar. Okay. Um, so uh, I love it, but also, as I said, um, with, with balsamic, I just, you know, a piece of crusty bread, some really mm-hmm. good olive oil, some really good balsamic, and that will make me happy for days. Yeah, no, it, it's really true. Um, it's funny, like we should have asked our, our brother Andrew, cause he lived in Germany for a, a long time. Uh, but the Germans, for me, when I think of vinegar cuisine i think of the germans and they really understood it but but you know the the german uh vinegar making areas are very associated with their wine regions um obviously you know you want to keep the wine from going bad just turn it into vinegar and then you can have a secondary market and so um i used to hate it but if you can find a place that does it right um sauerbraten is pretty good Um, oh yeah I enjoy that. Um, uh, Alton Brown has a recipe for it where he uses um, – uh, you're supposed to use uh, – is it called Lammkuchel or something like that or uh, um, Limkuchel, which are like uh, German uh, Christmas uh, cookies. But uh, ginger snaps work as well. So what you know, you'd have this sauce and you've cooked it and you've marinated it in this vinegar and, and you've slow cooked it and it's like really, really – uh, vinegary, um, but to take that edge off, you uh, break up some ginger snap cookies and then blend them into the sauce, and you make this this super tart, sour, sweet, spicy brown gravy, basically that goes on top of your German version of pot roast, um, nice. and and that works really really well. Um, besides that, I I use vinegar. Almost in everything. Um, if I'm not, if it's, if it doesn't call for a citrus acid, I always reach for a vinegar and pretty much without fail, every single, di- I can't think of a single dish right now that would not benefit from vinegar in it. If you're not using it, you're probably missing a little bit of a, a kick or a zing or a, or a, a, a preservative. I mean, my wife, has, has, it's a massive like when we say in America pickles we mean what English people call gherkins she's a massive pickle fan but she started getting into pickling and so often I'll open the fridge and I'll find you know uh, you know, 15 radishes cut up and like soaking in a, in, a, in a vinegar solution or onions or whatever and like they're great because you can just grab them and put them on whatever you want and they take the flavor up to, uh, to another level um, without having to actually cook the vinegar into your food yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. I think um, those pickled carrots I mentioned that we had in 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 Delhi were just divine, and I wanted to learn how to make them. Um, it was immediately, and it's really not that difficult, and they're cheap to make. So I'm 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 keen to learn. I love that bite, that flavor that you get from stuff like that. Yeah, I I think so as well. And like while while um, 
there are other things. I mean, humans are an interesting creature in the sense that um, the flavor that we like about vinegar is the somewhat the same reason I love spicy food. Is just like I want that little bit of discomfort, to, like you know, with 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 spicy food that burns the mouth, and with vinegar that basically lets your mouth know it's alive. Um, sort of like just jump starting it. That's a nice um, way of putting it. Yeah, it, it's like a reviver, and so I really, it really enjoy that. But let us know. Uh, what vinegars you like and what uh, dishes um, I, I can imagine our, our our friends out there who have a lot of um, connection to Southeast Asia. I know that that is obviously a, a big area for vinegar as well as North Asia. Um, you know, what are, what are, what are you using it in and, and how do you appreciate it, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking forward to the feedback on this because it's, it's so um, it, it's, it's all over the place. Yes. Yeah. So um, obviously you're traveling a little bit, but uh, we'll try and get this up as soon as possible and then maybe try and fit our, our next one in sooner rather than later. What is the next letter? V. W. W. And so I think we know what we're doing for that. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so we forward got, to that. Yeah. That might be a, a, a larger episode with some special guests, I think. Yes. That would be a good one. Yes. Make sure that you, uh, you're we're, do we have to make sure it's LDA compliant? I'm not sure. Hmm, good question. What is, Let's what is the English, English equivalent to that? So, um, yes, uh, enjoy enjoy responsibly. Um, enjoy responsibly. <laughs> yes, but besides that, um, I you know I don't think I mean, I'm interested to hear what you you eat in in Vienna. Um, I have no travel coming up for at least a few weeks, but beyond that, I think. Uh, We'll have some some good stuff to talk about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And until next time, everybody, eat well.